Right. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. I had to make sure I get that right. For whatever reason, in my mind, I keep thinking Philippians 3. I even turned there myself, Philippians 3, and I'm like, that is not what... It's Philippians 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. But uh, I wanted to make sure I get that right, because I've uh, you've all, all had it, I'm sure. Pastor gets up and says, you know, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I mean, John chapter 10, and you're like, where did that come from? Wrong book, wrong chapter. Uh, how, how prepared is he? But uh, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. I don't have any jokes for you uh, tonight, but I do want to read something. Most of you have probably heard it, uh, but with all the uh, politics and everything else that we've been hearing in the news, um, I wanted to read something for you that uh, Paul Harvey um, wrote and did often, so I'm sure many of you have heard it, but uh, on his... Uh, rest of the story program that he used to do. He originally did this in 1964, and about once a decade he would change it to kind of come up with the times, but his um, uh, monologue, If I Were the Devil, uh, I'm gonna read that. This last one he did was in 1996, and it's really interesting um, what, what he says in here, but 1996, this is what he wrote. If, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, <clears throat> I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first, and I, be I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible's a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's good is bad and what's good is square. Or what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell al alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellect but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild, and before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse and the schoolhouse, and then from the House of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I'd lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What do you bet I couldn't get whole states to promote, to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and that what you see on television is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public, lure you into bed with diseases for which there are no cures. And he says this, in other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Uh, it's interesting how spot on he is. And in 1964, he was spot on with that era and, and as he went through the decades. But the devil is after 
our country. There's no question about that. But he's also after our churches. He's, he's very much after our churches. And he mentions that in there, that he'd, he'd start with a campaign of whispers. Do what you want. Uh, you don't have to listen to the pastor. He's, he's mad at you or he's you know, on his hobby horse again or whatever it is. But Satan is doing, having his way with America and with our churches. And we're going to talk about something uh, tonight that is um, foreign to the world, but absolutely needed and very critical in churches. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is obviously Paul talking. We're going to talk about, um, like I said, something very critical in a, in a uh, New Testament Baptist church, and that is fellowship. And as we go through, uh, I got a long introduction and then a, a few points um, that we'll point out from this passage. But, um, you know, fellowship is more than it sounds like. We always do uh, a hymn. The second hymn of the service is always first verse, and then we'll have our time of fellowship. It's a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper than a handshake and, hey, how was your week? Or, hey, good to see you tonight, and move on to the next person. Um, fellowship uh, as we'll see in this passage, is, is so much deeper than that. And, and uh, it's, it's not just that, uh, I mean, you, you work with somebody at work, you can be friends for life. You can, you can be friends or acquaintances for life. But in a church, it's much more than that. It's, it's the actual lifeblood of the church. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes after we pray. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you uh, for the opportunity that you've given me. God, there's so much in your word uh, that you've put in there for us to get, not just for the pastor to, to get as he studies the Bible. God, as we study the Bible, I pray that uh, our, you would open our eyes and uh, give us things that we need as we go about our daily lives and uh, go out into the workforce and into the world and, and uh, try to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. God, I pray that you would uh, just give me the words to say tonight. I pray that you'd keep me from saying anything that I shouldn't. And God, I just, again, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for how you worked in my heart as I prepared this message. And I pray that you work in the hearts of my friends tonight as we uh, look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, in April, April 9th, actually, early in the morning, April 9th, 1945, in the concentration camp of Flossenburg, Germany, a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of him. Uh, he was actually a pretty well-known pastor in those times, or in, in 1945, in the 40s actually, because but 1945, April 9th, he was executed. And Heinrich Himmler was Hitler's executioner. And two years before this day, two years prior, Bonhoeffer had been arrested by Hitler uh, more so a political prisoner than, than anything else. He was a full-blooded German. Uh, 
pastor, but in those two years, he went from prison to prison, and, and it, uh, he went from Tegel to Berlin to Buchenwald to Schoenberg, and then finally he ended up in Flossenburg. And what happened is, over the course of being transferred into those different prisons, his friends didn't know when he was moving, and he couldn't get um, letters or anything out to them to let them know where he was, anything like that. So he lost track, lost communication with the whole outside world. He had no communication. And uh, so what happened is, according to his own testimony, in, his, in a book he wrote uh, called Life Together, but according to his own testimony, he said, I lost the most precious possession that I had, the possession of fellowship. He had no, no uh, communication with his fellow Christians, no communication with his family. He said he lost the most precious possession he had, that was fellowship. Um, he wrote this book called Life Together. It's based on Psalm 133. And if you, if you know Psalm 133, it's talking about the unity of the church. And uh, in that book, he writes this. The richness of fellowship, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. He says, let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it is a grace Nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. Uh, I, th I think what happened is he realized how important fellowship is, something we don't do. We, we take it for granted. We don't have the persecution that he obviously had. Um, and when I say we take it for granted, we not necessarily am I saying that, you know, we'll go a whole week without talking to each other. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we'll fight amongst ourselves uh, even families, spouses, um, you know, parents with teenage children fighting among ourselves. Fellowship is a gift from God among Christians that that should not be overlooked. It shouldn't be taken for granted. It's it's something that other families don't have, other uh, clubs don't have. It's that's not a fellowship that they have. They have a you know a, a, a friendship, a getting together, but the fellowship. Uh, that Bonhoeffer talks about. He says, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. Um, for sake of time, I won't read the whole thing, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, going through verse 27, talks about how the body of Christ, it talks about the body of Christ. Um, and, and I'm going to flip there just so I can reference it, but uh, chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, for as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Uh, and he goes on and he says, if the, if the whole body was the ear, where would the seeing be? Or if the whole body was an eye, where would the smelling be? And it's the whole point in that passage is to say, the members of the body of Christ are unique, but needed. So one, is, one has the gift of you know, this, another has a gift of this, and they have to work together in order for the body of Christ to work. But it's very, very much talking about the fellowship. Uh, if, if one arm is fighting the other arm on a body, it cannot function the way it's supposed to. Or if, if the arm gets jealous of the leg, I'm not going to do my job because I don't get the glory that the legs get. Then, then, the, then the body cannot function, and that's the whole point of that passage. 
is within a church which has as its head Jesus Christ, if it's not working together and in fellowship with itself, it cannot work the way that it's supposed to. Um, true fellowship, true Christian fellowship is essential, but it's a very spiritual thing. It's as much a, a, a doctrine, I guess, as, as any of the other doctrines in the Bible. Um, John chapter 17, verse 11, and you can, you can write it down or you can go there, but that's, that's where Jesus Christ is praying and he's praying this high priestly prayer that his chosen, his elect, his people that would be called by his name will be one. Uh, at the very end, he says uh, that, that they will be one even as I and my father are one. He's praying that his people will become one. That's fellowship. That's the fellowship that we're talking about. Uh, me and my wife, when we left Indiana, uh, the moving to Virginia was not the was not the issue, you know, anything else. We were leaving a a fellowship of believers, and that was the hardest that was the hardest part about leaving our church there in Indiana. It was not necessarily the family. It was not necessarily you know friends that oh we grew up with them our whole lives. We you know we've known them our whole lives, but it was the fellowship of the church there, and that that's. That's how it should be. It should be when a, when a family or a member leaves a church, it's actually like a part of the body being torn away. Uh, and so therefore, uh, if, if we leave a church, it should be uh, through prayer and fasting and knowing for sure that this is the will of God that I am supposed to leave to go help this other church or start this other church or whatever it is. Because the, other, the rest of the church is depending on that fellowship that you bring to the table. You may not feel like you bring much, but it's a fellowship that is, is, is needed. Um, each member, uh, we share life. We share eternal life. Uh, we have a shared faith uh, in Jesus Christ. We have a shared love. We have a shared purpose as a church to glorify God. We have a shared um, ministry, which is to proclaim the gospel to, to the lost. We have a shared power, uh, which comes only from the Holy Spirit. We share everything as a church. And so I won't belabor the point, but the point there is we need fellowship. It's a very spiritual thing. It's a very essential thing uh, in, our, in our church. Um, and unfortunately, I think what happens in a lot of churches, and the bigger a church is, usually the, the worse uh, or the more obvious this is, but a church is not supposed to be where everybody, like a theater where everybody files in, sits next to somebody they don't know, uh, watches the performance, and walks out without ever having said anything to the person next to them. That's not what the church is supposed to be. Um, and unfortunately, pastor says this all the time, the church is not the building. We can meet anywhere. We know that. But unfortunately, that is what the church has become. It's a building. I'm going to church. Um, we say it all the time. I'm going to church. Uh, the church is not the building. Uh, it's a fallacy that, that has been promoted. Um, but the church is the people that make, that make up the body uh, of Christ. And, the, and the, here's the other thing is another fallacy Okay, we got, we got that. The people make up the church. But another fallacy that the devil pushes is um, the pastor and a few of the others that run the church, they're the ones that make up the church. They're the ones that need to do all the work. They need to, to uh, 
feed me when I walk in. They need to entertain me when I walk in. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about. Without working together as one unit, as a body, the church cannot function the way it's supposed to. Uh, it can be a shell of what, God actu what Jesus actually uh, intended for it to be, but it can't function the way that it's supposed to. Um, and so I wrote this down. Christianity is not an individual experience. Salvation is very much a personal experience, but Christianity is not. We're not supposed to live our Christian lives in isolation. We're not supposed to go through life, you know, somebody sees, finally sees you in heaven when you're both dead, and he says, I never knew you were a Christian. Man, that's great. That's not the way the Christian life is supposed to be lived. It's supposed to be uh, an experience that we share with our Christian brothers and sisters in this life. Uh, it's not an individual or a private experience, uh, which is why, this is just a side note, but this, which is why home churches are unbiblical. Uh, that's not what God created. The, the whole point of church is not uh, just the preaching. Because if it was, absolutely, a preacher could preach to his family at home, right? And have his own little home church. That's not the only reason for church. Uh, fellowship is very much a, 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 an important part of the church that God designed. Um, we used to run a, run a bus in Indiana, a bus route, and pick, pick kids up for church. And, of course, certain times of the year, you'd really push for the parents to come with them. Hey, come to church with us. And it always, you knew the guy, the, the dads that were going to act like this. You could just tell. They, they had a, 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 a aura about them or something. But they, you know, hey, come to church with us. Man, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. Uh, I do church for, with myself, you know. Uh, I don't need anybody to preach to me. You know, I got my Bible. And they have no idea where their Bible's at. But they can do church on their own. That's, that's not what church is, in, is intended to be. Church is not just to get something from God's word, although that's a very important part, but as we said before, uh, it's the fellowship. Um, and so if you go through this Christian life without that fellowship that Jesus Christ very much intended us to, to be a part of, um, then you've missed a lot of the blessing. You've missed a lot of what the Christian life uh, has to offer. Um, I read a story about a little boy. You've probably heard this before. Uh, I say a little boy, he's about 15 years old, and this is way back uh, in the, in the uh, 1800s when they actually still sailed across the oceans, you know, coming for uh, immigration to, to migrate to the United States and whatnot. And this boy was only about 15 years old. His extended family had already made it to America and started working, his uncle and his aunt. He had no family uh, back in his home country, so he worked and saved up to buy a ticket to sail to the United States to live with his aunt and uncle and, and start a new life for himself. And uh, he got finally saved up enough money, bought his ticket, got on the ship, and started sailing for America. And it was about, about a two-week voyage that he was taking. And so he brought this great big paper sack full of peanuts and raisins, you know, dry foods that wouldn't go bad that he could eat uh, on the way over. And about a week and a half into it, he started realizing, I'm going to run out of this. I'm going to run out of food. So he starts rationing it, you know, and every time when, when, the, uh, when dinner would be served, he'd go out to the deck and he'd eat his, his peanuts and raisins. And the portions kept getting smaller and smaller so he could make sure that it would last. 
And finally, one of the ship's crew saw him out there eating his, uh, eating those peanuts and raisins out of the sack, and he said, what are you doing, son? He said, you know, I had just enough money to buy a ticket to get to America. I didn't have enough money to, to pay for all the extra food and everything else, so I had to bring my own food. And he said, your ticket includes all the meals. So for a week and a half, this boy had been skipping out on the meals, trying to ration these peanuts and raisins when he had it all available to him. It was already paid uh, for with his ticket. That's kind of how it is in the Christian life. If you make it to heaven, sure, that's great. But you missed out on all the blessings that God had for you going through this life with the fellowship of other Christians. Um, and, I, and I think that's why I, my, I have a pet peeve. Cell phones is my pet peeve. I, I can't stand Instagram. My wife knows that. It's, and Pastor has mentioned this, but people uh, making up this life that they're not really living, you know, it's not even real. And they put the pictures on Instagram to make everybody jealous. But what has happened with living that uh, lifestyle on Instagram is we've isolated ourselves from, from others. And it would be okay if it was just in the world, but it's, it's in churches as well. We do the same thing. We isolate ourselves from, from other Christians, and we miss out on so many blessings that God has for us through uh, fellowship in the local church. And I'll give you a perfect example of this, and then we'll move on. But uh, I, think, I think Sarah was with me one time when we were knocking on doors. And we knocked on the door of this couple, and they said they went to, I don't remember the name of the church or the name of the people, so this story uh, can't hurt anybody's feelings. But they went to this certain church in the neighborhood, and they said, oh, we've been going there for 20 years, you know. And okay, all right. So we moved on, and like two doors down, we meet another couple that goes to the same church. And I said, oh, we met your neighbor, right? You know, two houses down, they go to your church. And he was like, do they? I said, yeah, they've been going there for like 20 years, they said. We've been going there 20 years, too. What's their name again? And neither of them knew each other, never heard of each other. I said, how can you go to the same church? Even if it's a big church, how can you go to the same church for 20 years and not even know the name of the person? You know, you might recognize their name and say, oh, yeah, I do know that. They didn't know each other. That is a perfect example of what Christian fellowship is not supposed to be. Uh, we, we miss out on so much when the, when the body of Christ is not working uh, together as a unit. So uh, the basis of Christian fellowship is obviously salvation. First John 1, 1 through 3, I won't have you turn there, but it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That salvation through Jesus Christ is the basis for fellowship. If, you don't have, if you're not saved, you can't have uh, that fellowship. You can't understand it. You can't even begin in that fellowship. But First John tells us right there, once we're saved, that's what we are saved unto. It says, that which we have seen, we declare unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Um, goes back to what I was just saying is we miss out on so much. If we just get saved, we make it to heaven, but we miss out on that fellowship uh, by isolating ourselves. So we're going to look at five things quickly uh, from Philippians chapter 1 
five strands of true, what true fellowship means. And the first thing in, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, true fellowship means praying for one another. Uh, verse 3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making a request with joy. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's saying, every time I think of you, I thank God for you and I pray for you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. Um, true fellowship should be praying for one another, and that doesn't mean we make a prayer list and we say, uh, be with Brother John today at work and be with Miss Karen at work. And that's not praying for one another. Um, I was reading uh, on this topic of what one pastor he said I don't like making lists he said I have lists so that I, it prompts me to pray for for those in my church but he said I don't like praying through a list for people in my church he said I like when God brings them to my mind stopping and praying for them because then it's a true heartfelt prayer not a I, I gotta pray for John I told him I would it's a you know, I'm working, you know, I'm out at work and I see a, a state trooper and I pass it and I go, oh, is that John? And, and praying for John. That's true fellowship through prayer for one another. Or when you've talked to somebody at church and you know they're, they're going through a tough time. And you remember that during the week uh, in your prayer time or even, even out, you know, out and about on the job or whatever. And you stop and you pray for them. Pray for them. That's the true fellowship that, Philippians, uh, that Paul is talking about here in Philippians uh, chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 18 says this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 17 says to pray without ceasing. Romans 12 12 tells us to be devoted uh, to prayer. And so... Uh, our prayer for one or, or our fellowship for one another shouldn't stop with uh, warm feelings, right? Uh, sometimes we come to church and we have a good time with, with those at church. Man, I love, I love going to church. It's, we have such a good time. And, you know, I really like this person. I really like that person. They're, they're my friend. It shouldn't stop with warm feelings for one another. You can have that anywhere. Uh, it should continue on to uh, true, heartfelt prayer for one another because we need it we're all going through this uh, world trying to be in the world but not of the world as the bible tells us to be and and sometimes that's difficult we get into the flesh and and, and uh you know god forgive us for that but sometimes we deal in the flesh when we should not be and we need our brothers and sisters we need to know that they're praying for us uh and we need to pray for them as well but Going back to these verses, praying, you know, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, pray without ceasing. It's not saying, and we know this, we've heard it preached, but it's not saying we always have to be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it actually, without ceasing, is actually translated from a word that means, uh, was used for like a hacking cough. It's not constant. It's not every single minute of every day, but it's often it returns. Uh, that's what it's talking about with praying without ceasing. Uh, we can only go so long without it popping back up. I, have to, I, I need to pray uh, for this person or that person or this situation or that situation. That's what the praying without ceasing uh, is talking about. 
And here's the last, the last point here uh, on this point is when we're praying for others, often it changes our heart just as much as our prayer for them to change or prayer for them. Uh, it does more good for us often than it does for the person we're praying for. Um, it changes our heart uh, toward them. And that's what Paul is talking about here with this fellowship. You can't be praying for someone in the church and still have bitterness toward them. You can't do it. You can't be praying for somebody in the church and have, had, have let something small that they said or did upset you and keep nagging at you. If you're praying for them, it does just as much good for you uh, in changing your heart toward them as it does for them. Secondly, true fellowship means serving God together. Chapter 1, verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, and he's saying, uh, verse 3, it's a continuance from verse 3, I thank my God, and then to verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What is he talking about, fellowship in the gospel? He's saying, for your service in the work of the gospel together with me from the beginning. Um, the Philippians had joined Paul in the cause of the gospel from the very beginning. They were, they were trying to work with him. Um, and pastor says this all the time. It's, uh, he talks about this all the time. If God saved us, if God just wanted us to be saved, he'd take us home as soon as we are saved. We're saved to serve God. Uh, we are his hands and feet. The Bible clearly talks about that, um, not just in salvation, but in, in helping others and, you know, uh, giving to those in need, but most importantly, in salvation, um, we are saved to serve God in helping others uh, to understand the gospel and to understand what that is. And just like in anything, if one person is trying to do all the work, he can get some done, but very small amount. If the whole group is working toward that goal together, you can get a whole lot more done. And the same when it comes to uh, serving God. It's, I don't just mean knocking on doors. Uh, there's a lot of other ways to serve um, in, in the church uh, other than just going out to spread the gospel. That's obviously one of the most important parts uh, of service that we do. But, but there's so much more that we can do. Um, and I'm not preaching at us necessarily. I am I am, I am reminding us and encouraging us that, that of how important fellowship is. And one of the ways of true fellowship uh, is serving God together. Um, I, think, I think often when we hear, you know, we're going to have a fellowship after church, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, coffee, cookies, some food in the fellowship hall. That's a far cry from what Paul is saying. Fellowship is here. And, and that's nothing wrong with calling that a, a church fellowship or whatever but that's not where fellowship should end fellowship is is much deeper uh than that um in in uh philippians 1 1 7 we're there right now it says even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye all are partakers of my grace we are serving God in defending the gospel from the attacks uh, from false teachers, but we're also serving God in confirmation of the gospel, and that is most obvious confirmation of the gospel 
through the testimony of our lives. Uh, confirmation of the gospel is showing by, you know, by our fruit, by, by someone's fruit, you'll know that they're saved. That's what it's talking about uh, in confirming the gospel. People looking at your life and seeing that that gospel that they preach is real. It, it changed them. Um, so serving God is another of the uh, another way that true fellowship uh, takes place in a church. Third, true fellowship means trusting in God's sovereign working in one another. And it says that in verse six, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, have you ever seen somebody uh, get saved, they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they just do not seem to be growing or not growing as fast as you think they should? Or uh, somebody that you've been going to church with forever, and you're like, what is wrong with them? They, the Bible clearly says that we should be doing this, and they don't do it. That's what verse 6 is talking about. We're trusting in God's working in someone else's life. We're not the Holy Spirit that, that is sent here to this earth to convict someone else of what they need to change. Now, that's not to say that if something is glaring and obviously wrong or doctrinally or a sin, you know, a very obvious sin that's against the Bible that we should just be like, eh, you know, let the Holy Spirit work in his life. We need to say something and, and help that person, but, but it needs to be said in love, not a... I'm going to change them. I'm making it my mission to change that person. So that's, that's another part of true fellowship. You can have some nasty, nasty wars in churches because, you know, one faction decides that that faction isn't right and they need to change, and, and the next thing you know, they're at war. That's not fellowship. That's the body of Christ fighting against each other. 1 Corinthians 12 says it, it will not work. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to move quickly. Keep on moving the fourth thing, I have lots of points under that, but we're going to keep on moving. Fourth, true fellowship means partaking together of God's grace. Verse 7 says that. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul's not saying you partook in my grace that I give. He's saying we're all partakers of the same grace that, that we get from Jesus Christ. We were all saved the same way, by grace, unmerited favor that we did not deserve. Um, some maybe have, have more baggage than others or came from a worse background than others, but it took the same grace to save us all. True fellowship, we understand that. And kind of in conjunction with the last point, we give each other room to grow. We give each other room to understand Oh, the Bible says this. I need to change that. Um, who are we to, to decide that, uh, you know, God's grace, uh, well, he, they needed so much more of God's grace. I'm so much better than they are. We've heard the phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I. The same thing. It's, that's exactly what it is. We all needed the exact same grace. Without that grace, we're going to spend eternity in hell. The same exact grace that we partook of is the same exact grace that every other Christian partook of. We're partakers together of God's grace. And uh, that brings about a, a true fellowship. Pastor says this often, you know, salvation 
or, or sharing the gospel is just one beggar telling another one where to find bread. But you have to remember at the end of the day, we're still both beggars, right? One beggar saying, hey, I showed you where to find bread. I'm so much better than you. That, that's not the case. One Christian showing someone that's unsaved how to find that grace that they were able to take part in is, is we're still sinners saved by grace. So true fellowship means partaking together uh, in God's grace. Um, and so having said that, when, when you find a Christian that's sometimes hard to get along with, um, remember that uh, we're no better than they are. It took the same grace, the same mercy, the same salvation uh, to save me. And then when we go back to the first point, and we pray for that person, right? It makes it that much easier to love them uh, because we're truly trying to help them. We're truly praying for them to, to grow in their walk with Jesus Christ. And then this is the last one. True fellowship means heartfelt affection for one another. Verse 8, for God is my rec record, Paul says, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I can just... Uh, you can just hear Paul, Paul's uh, emotion when he's writing this. How greatly I long after you. He's not with them here. He's, he's writing from prison, telling the Philippians, God is my record. I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And the, with the affection of Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Uh, that's what's causing this emotion or causing this affection that he has for these other Christians is... Uh, Jesus Christ and and uh, so first um, Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says this so being affectionately desirous of you we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only but also our own souls because you were dear unto us how many of us love our our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ like that he says, not the, I'm, not, I'm not trying to impart unto you just the gospel of God, but also my own soul, because you're dear unto me. Sin divides us, and this is not a message on sin, but, but sin divides us so much, um, not just in our churches. Uh, it divides us racially, culturally. Um, I mean, we are divided as a world because of sin, right? The Tower of Babel. That's what divided us originally. Um, but all of those boundaries are taken away when a church has true fellowship with each other. Um, race, race means nothing. Culture means nothing. Uh, in a group of truly, uh, true believers that are truly wanting to have fellowship in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Um, here's the hard question then. How can I develop heartfelt love for another Christian, especially the ones that are hard to be around or you find hard to be around. How do I develop a heartfelt love for a Christian I find hard to be around? We've all been around those kind of people. Uh, if you've been in church any amount of time, there's some that irk you, you know, get under your skin. Um, but, like, but that's what all five of these points are. If we're praying for them, if we're truly truly praying for them, if we're serving together with them, uh, we can have a fellowship 
that no one else in the world understands, no unsaved person in the world understands. We can have that in our churches. It's, it's, it's unique among churches. Uh, it, the world doesn't understand it. The world, you know, if they don't like somebody, they don't like them, and that's the end of that. They go find a different friend. A Christian doesn't really have that uh, luxury, so to speak. We are commanded to be uh, in fellowship with one, with one another in our churches. Um, and I think, I think that, that often, especially in America, we take uh, very much for granted this fellowship that we have, that we are allowed to be a part of. I love our church. I love coming here to this church. Uh, I said that early on that, uh, you know, that's one thing that we really had a hard time leaving was that fellowship and the friends at, our, at the church we came from in Indiana. Um, but we knew God was calling us here to, to help start, get, start this church and be a part of it. And I love coming to church every Sunday. I, could be, I can be in a bad mood. I show up at church and it, and it changes my mood 100%. And it should be that way. That's how the church should be. And as we grow, uh, Lord willing, we will. As we grow, it should not be cliques that start to form. It should be a body of believers working together as one unit, uh, serving, praying for each other, uh, going out and sharing the gospel. Um, but we take for granted that fellowship that we have. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this story, and then we'll be done. There's a man, I read a story about a man named Mohammed, uh, lives in a North African country that's almost 100% Muslim, obviously by his name, Mohammed. He, uh, a lot of these Christian radio stations even that, that are broadcasting even from America, they try to broadcast into some of these countries and very often it's, it's hit and miss, you know, sometimes they get signals, sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes they don't have batteries for the radios or whatever, but this man uh, heard on a Christian radio station broadcasted from the United States uh, that he could receive some literature uh, from, this, from this radio station. So he sent in and asked them to mail him some of this literature. What they sent him was the, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. And so this man, Muhammad, studied this, these scriptures and came to faith in Christ just by reading, reading these two books of the Bible, Matthew and John, that they sent him. Well, it was this guy's job at the radio station that anybody you send literature to, he was supposed to follow up with them and see, you know, did you want more literature or uh, whatever. Well, he eventually was able to get in contact with Muhammad through mail, and he said, hey, did you get our literature? And the guy wrote back, Muhammad wrote back saying, I got saved through the literature that you sent, but I have no one else here. There's no church. There's no other believers. I'm by myself. And he says this. He said, uh, he longed for a Christian brother to fellowship and pray with. He prayed diligently for four years, wondering if he would ever have the joy of meeting another Christian. And then one day, that's when he received this letter uh, from, from this Christian man from the radio station who was following up with those who had request, requested gospel literature. So this man told Muhammad he would be in his, in his area and asked if he could meet. So he was taking a, a mission trip or something to this North African country. And it says, Muhammad was so excited that his prayer was finally going to be answered after four years that he couldn't sleep for three nights before the scheduled meeting. And when they met, this is what he said about his experience, 
It was more wonderful than I could ever have imagined. Just meeting another Christian. That was his, his um, testimony about meeting another Christian. And I think so often we come to church with a lot of Christians every single week. And maybe, you know, I'm upset with this guy or I'm upset with that lady. I'm not talking to them, you know. We take for granted the fellowship that we have, the fellowship that we can have if we're, if we're acting the way that we're supposed to uh, in this body of believers that God has given us. It's a gift from God. If we look at it that way, uh, maybe we'll, we'll be less prone to take for granted what God has given for us. So fellowship, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing that's very unique to the church that God uh, established for us to be a part of. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be finished. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I pray that, that as we've heard tonight about the fellowship that you desire for us to have, that we would desire to have that same fellowship uh, among our Christian brothers and sisters. God, we do take for granted so often we, uh, we don't pray for each other, we don't uh, serve with each other the way that we could or should. And God, I pray that uh, as we heard the story of, of Muhammad, God, just begging for four years for, from you to send another Christian to talk to you, God, I couldn't imagine. I pray that as we uh, come to our church here, that we would, God, be the, the members of the body that you've created that we should be. God, I pray as we heard this morning that we wouldn't let bitterness tear us apart, that we would get those things taken care of as soon as they crop, uh, creep up, and we would uh, be useful, and, and um, God, as, as a church, that you'd be able to use us uh, individually and corporately, and, and uh, God, we would just be able to see souls saved and see your work accomplished. Pray that you would give us a good week as we leave from here, but God, I pray that you would speak to hearts on this topic. God, I don't believe we have any issue here, but it's such a good reminder and such a, a challenge to myself God, that we have something that no one else in the, in the world has, this fellowship uh, of Christian believers. Pray that you would, uh, God, just help us to make sure that those relationships are, uh, are what they should be among ourselves. And God, as we go out to serve you, God, that we would make sure uh, we're right, that we're clean, and that we're uh, God, as clean as we can be so that we, we can be used by you. Pray that you give us a good rest of this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you will, keep your eyes closed, heads bowed. Go ahead and stand with me. As the piano plays, if, if God spoke to your heart on anything here, you come forward and, and, and do business with him.